Action is my favorite word. Everything I do is with the intent to make the client feel comfortable enough to take action because that's how I define whether or not I've successfully helped someone. You could create a financial plan. You can make a list of recommendations all day. But if they don't act on that, then I see it as I've wasted my time and I see it as they've wasted their time. What I found is in order to get clients to actually take action, what you have to be able to do is provide clarity for them. You have to be able to educate them on what their options are. You have to educate them on what they should or shouldn't be doing, what the pros and cons are, and help them make those decisions. So clarity to take action. Welcome to the Active Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Harbor Capital. Join us as we learn from pros who have helped thousands of investors live better lives. I'm Brian Moore, and I'll be chatting with some of the brightest minds in the financial advisory business, bringing you insights on practice management and investment research that works for advisors and their clients. Joining me today on this episode of the Active Advisor Podcast is LPL Financial Advisor and founder of SMB Financial Strategies, Sadeen Barsumian, CFP and CRPC. With over 18 years of experience as a financial advisor, Sadeen is committed to building long-term relationships with her clients based on trust and open communication. Not only is she dedicated to her clients, but she's also a strong advocate for women in finance. Beyond her financial expertise, her passion resides in empowering women to thrive in this traditionally male-dominated industry. Her firm, SMB Financial Strategies, focuses on simplifying personal finance, offering guidance for retirement, education savings, and financial security. Out of the office, Sadine and her husband, Albert, are busy keeping up with their sons, Samuel and Christian. Welcome, Sadine, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I heard you're also big into dance parties, so let's shake it off and get this party started. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so we traditionally like to get the conversation going here on The Active Advisor by asking each one of our guests, what's your first memory related to money or investing? Sure. I Thinking about that, because I've listened to previous podcasts that you hosted, and I was like, what is my first money memory? And Maybe it's a little sad, but my first money memory doesn't really come until the age of 18. So it's freshman year of college, and I have a $2,000 CD that recently matured. I take this $2,000 CD, and I spend every single penny of it on Christmas gifts for my family. So $2,000 might not seem like a lot of money these days, but we're talking 21 years ago, and I was 18 years old. So this was a really big turning point for me in hindsight, because it really just shed a lot of light for me about how little I knew about money, saving and investing. I honestly just thought that you earn money to spend it. I didn't have any sort of example from my parents because they moved to this country in their 30s. And they, it's something that they themselves didn't understand either. So one of the things I often think about is you know, what trajectory or what path would I personally be on if I didn't come into this industry and know what I know now? I'd like to build on those early days. Can you tell us kind of about the journey that led you to starting up your own firm? It was never my intention to start my own firm. So I started as an advisor straight out of college. And at the time I was obviously young and I didn't know a lot. And they told me, if you want to be an advisor, you got to go get training. So, okay. And at the time, Ameriprise Financial was one of the big firms that did a lot of training. So I started my career there. 
I knew that I didn't want to stay there long-term, that eventually I would want to go somewhere that wasn't so big and didn't have proprietary products. Uh, but then the 07, 08 market crash occurred. Clients were freaking out. I was freaking out. You know, I was two years in as an advisor. Here I am telling people what to do with their money. I distinctly remember getting off the phone with some clients and just crying because I had a lot of conviction about what I was telling them, but I, having never gone through a market like that, I was questioning, is this actually going to work out? But what happened was two older advisors that I used to work with at Ameriprise, they left to join a group office and they recruited me over to this group office. Long story short, that group office was not a good fit for me. And so there came a point where I had to decide, do I just walk away? Do I just try something different? I felt a, a bit scorned with my experience at this group office. I wasn't ready to walk away from my client relationship. So what I decided to do was just go independent and just kind of take care of my clients and put my head down and do the work. Well, so was, hats off to you. Never planned, never <laughs> thought out. It just kind of how how it came to be. You know what? Sometimes that's the best way. Just kind of worked out and you kind of, you know, put your head down and, and here you are all these years later. Yeah. That's a great story on how you got here. I have to ask, what's really surprised you the most as being an independent? Well, so when you're independent, you're wearing two hats. You're an advisor, which is what you're technically trained to do. But when you're independent, you're also a business owner. And in your training, no one teaches you how to be a business owner. They teach you how to market yourself. They teach you how to create retirement income streams and create investment portfolios and all of those things. But no one tells you what it's like to negotiate a rent lease. No one tells you what it's like to set up payroll. No one tells you that you have to also put in the work and make sure that you're running a profitable business and all of these sorts of things. So that's been the most challenging part. And the hardest learning curve. I'm sure. And you mentioned kind of in a previous conversation we had that you've done a lot of work and, and you've kind of had to to learn a lot about being able to kind of, you know, fulfill those needs that, that are required of the business. Did you get kind of inspiration or any guidance from anybody in particular? Or is there any one area that kind of helped along that journey? Well, so what I ended up having to do, because I, I just felt like I was really stumbling. And so I had to look outside for help. So similar how to our clients hire us for help because they may be doing some of the right things, but they're not quite sure and they really just need a professional opinion. So two of the things I've done that have really made a big difference for me is I've hired a coach that's specific to financial advisors. Um, so that's been really helpful. And I've also hired, it's basically, it's like a fractional CFO. I don't know if you're aware of that term, but that's pretty, it's starting to become more popular in the industry. And it's a role that's basically created for people like myself, business mm -hmm. owners that don't, not don't, but maybe can't necessarily afford to hire a full-time, part-time CFO. It's not necessarily warranted and maybe they don't have the resources to pay for that person. But this person basically, instead of having one client, will have multiple clients and they're functioning kind of as a part-time CFO. That person has really been a game changer for me in terms of how I look at my business, how I make decisions about my business, and how I run my business. Well, that's great. I mean, I think it, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's really helping you set up your business to run for many decades and multiple generations. 
Yeah. I mean, it's something I talked about with my coach. I've been an advisor for 18 years. I turned 40 years old this year. And so one of the things we've been talking about, what's the next 18? Because that basically almost gets me to 60, right? I have a long way to go. And if I look back at how much has changed, I can't even fathom what the next 18 is, where we'll be in the next 18. So it's really important to do the work and to be kind of intentional about how you want to grow and what you want your business to look like so that the business isn't running you, mm-hmm. you're running the business. And that's been a big change for me over the last couple of years. No, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's one thing about this business. It never stays the same. Yes. <laughs> so, well, here at the Active Advisor, we obviously hope that your business is around for many, many more generations. But I think one of the things that goes along with being around for those multiple generations is that you've mentioned that some of your clients, or actually many of your clients are multi-generational. And as an independent, how are you better able to serve those families? How am I better able to serve those families? I think as an independent, you get the, you choose who you want to work with and who mm-hmm. you don't want to work with. Whereas if you were working for a larger firm or a firm that had certain criteria, so I know some firms, for example, you have to have a certain investment account minimum to work with them. And so therefore the children of your client might not be an ideal client or someone that they would want you to work with. I think that's the the biggest difference is I get to choose. No one tells me who I get to work with and who I don't get to work with. I get to make those decisions myself as a business owner. And for me, again, having a long runway to go and just thinking about continuity and also just the success of my client, forget my business. Mm-hmm. My clients feel much more successful. They feel much more peace of mind knowing that their children are also being taken care of. Many of my clients are pre-retirees. We Typically, I start working with them five or 10 years before retirement. And a majority of them have said to me, gosh, I wish I met you 10 years ago. You know, I can't imagine where I'd be now. And so that's an easy parlay conversation to, well, what are your children up to? And so many of them are shocked to know that I'm willing to work with them. I just explained it the similar how I just explained it now is your success and their success are are in line. And I want that peace of mind for everybody. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that's one of the things that if you're able to kind of transfer and get, you know, get in front of, I want to say kids, but I guess younger generations, I think that definitely helps them out and it gives you, gives them a better footing and higher financial literacy going forward as they do grow older and as hopefully their incomes rise. Absolutely. So one of the things I love about your website is in your practice is your tagline is clarity to take action. Can you <laughs> tell me what this means to you and your firm? Well, action is my favorite word. Everything I do is with the intent to make the client feel comfortable enough to take action because that's how I define whether or not I've successfully helped someone. You could create a financial plan. You can make a list of recommendations all day, but if they don't act on that, then I see it as I've wasted my time and I see it as they've wasted their time. What I found is in order to get clients to actually take action, what you have to be able to do is provide clarity for them. You have to be able to educate them on what their options are. You have to educate them on what they should or shouldn't be doing, what the pros and cons are, and help them make those decisions. So clarity to take action. Now, does that clarity take different forms with different generations of the same family? Yes. You know, different generations have different sorts of questions on their mind. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, pre-retirees have a different set of worries than 
our younger generation clients who are often very much inundated and can actually only process so many things at once. You know, they're buying houses, they have stock options, they have one child, they have two child, sometimes they have a third child. So those action steps that I create for them, I've also implemented a three bucket approach. And so when I give them a list of recommendations, I break it down and I say, okay, the first bucket is kind of what I call low hanging fruit. What are the things that you can take care of very easily in the next 30 days? And that's going to make you feel good. So very simple things like set up a high yield savings account. I'll look at a statement and sometimes I'll see there's no beneficiary on file. Update your beneficiary. Easy things for them. That's not a heavy lift, but that will, you can check some. I love check boxes. I love getting, you know, that to-do list. I'm a big fan. So we can check some of those items off. And then the second tier are things that are 30 days to six months out. So I give them a, a time frame for that. And my client service model is set up so that we meet every six months. So at that six month meeting, actually two weeks prior to, I send them a reminder of, here are the things on that list. Did you get any of these things done? You'd be surprised what hasn't gotten done, but also you would be surprised at what gets done in that two week time frame leading up to that meeting, because now they're accountable to someone other than themselves. So that's a key part of our process. And then that third bucket are more things that we know we need to do, but are not necessarily pressing. A very good example is an estate plan. That's oftentimes one of the last things that we get around to because no one really wants to think about it or deal with that. So I try and break it down for them and, and try to make it easy and manageable and not stressful as possible. Nope, that sounds perfect. And I definitely like the bucket approach and kind of, you know, I'm sure that two week, I would love to find out the average of how much stuff gets done in those you know, <laughs> five and a half months to that final two week before the meeting. Yeah. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. I'd like to spend some time on a topic that I know you're passionate about, which is women in finance. Yeah. Women have made great strides in the financial industry, but there's still a long way to go. In your opinion, what's required to continue to build on this trajectory and hopefully at a much quicker pace? I can speak personally on this matter. I know everyone has a different sort of experience. For me, what I felt that was missing coming into the industry and even being in it now, it's gotten a little bit better, but is really just having a role model of a woman financial advisor and business owner. I did not have that over the years at all. You know, when I first started in the industry, I was in a group office, like I said, at Ameriprise, majority men, most of the leadership and managers, men, the group office I joined to joined same sort of situation. And so I think that's a really important part for me as I grow and as I develop a team is I want others to see me and mm -hmm. say, hey, look, she can do it. I can too. I think that was a really big thing that was missing for me. And then also just this general misconception that it's not a misconception. There is truth to it. Most of the women in our industry fall into marketing operations, admin roles for a variety of reasons. And even to this day, you know, I was just at a study group meeting or a conference and people will say, oh, who do you work for? Don't assume that I work for somebody else just because I'm a woman and I'm young. Mm -hmm. Ask me what I do for a living or find another way. 
So I think for me, that's the number one thing is just finding a role model and also mentorship. No, that's great. Women have a different set of needs than men do as their career evolves. A big part of that obviously is um, if you choose to become a mom and what those years can feel like, it's very tumultuous. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm sure you're doing uh, being, you know, you'll be a great mentor and hopefully mentoring now to further aspiring uh, women in finance. Yes, that's what we're working on. From your own experience in working with clients, what do you personally feel are the unique strengths and perspectives that women bring to the field? I would say women just have softer skills when it comes to, you know, being in meetings and how we work with clients. We tend to focus more on the personal aspects. We tend to have a little bit more empathy. It's less about transaction Mm -hmm. and less about a sale, more so about, you know, making the client feel comfortable and educated and just establishing some of those long-term relationships. I think that is one of the things that it's funny in our business coming from kind of where it was even 20 years ago, listening really is going to be the one of the things that I think separates us Even if we look back five years ago when everybody was worried about robos taking over the world, I think people still want to deal with people, especially when it comes to sensitive topics and things like this. And I think having that empathetic, warm listening voice really makes a big difference and actually endears you not only to your clients, but also is a huge value add. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I'm in a meeting with clients, especially if it's a married client. And sometimes they get into it and they look over and and they'll say, are you sure? Like, you don't have a background in psychology because like, we, we never get to these points. We never have these conversations. And so it's not just listening. I think that's really important, but it's also being able to have sometimes the courage to ask really hard questions and get that client to that point where they can share and really kind of unlocking what is their money story? Why is it that they're not taking action if, if they're not taking action? What's their hang up? I know that you know behavioral finance or B5 right now is really popular in the financial service industry. I'm happy to see that there's a lot of training around that. But I think that's one of the things that kind of women have a little bit more innate meat within yeah. them than men do. That really helps to set them apart. Excellent point. Could you share some of the initiatives you've been involved with at LPL to promote women in finance, both in terms of advocacy and encouraging more women to join the industry? Yes. So I work with LPL's diversity and inclusion team. And one, what we do is the mentorship. So when we kind of sat down and we brainstormed, how how can we move the needle? So it's not just mentoring myself, but creating opportunities for others to mentor. So that's a really big part of it. Another part of it is sharing best practices. So I spoke at LPL's conference uh, last week for their women's conference. I also spoke at their flagship conference and just kind of sharing some best practices and sharing your own personal experience. Another really big initiative that we've done is for on the independent model, when you first start, it, it is a kind of a barrier to entry is when you're independent, you have to pay for everything, your laptop, your subscriptions to Morningstar, your CRM, all of these things, your trading fees, your E&O insurance. So there's there's a set cost. It's, it could be up to at a minimum somewhere between eight to $10,000 just to get started. And so one of the things that we've worked with the LPL team to identify and to help kind of eliminate that barrier to entry is create 
a fee waiver program if they hit certain benchmarks. So if they bring in a certain amount of AUM, it can be waived for up to three years. So that's a really significant new program that LPL has rolled out that really makes a difference, not just for women. It's also something that they're rolling out for a lot of the underserved communities, the Black, Latin, Asian American, things like that, that will really help to bring more diversity to the industry and eliminate some of those barriers to entry. Oh, that's great. I, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But what advice would you give to women who aspire to pursue a career in finance? Oh, gosh. And I can buy you some time if you want me to tell you my story. Let's go with your story. So my daughter, I used to bring her to work day uh, when I was on the trading floor. And so mm-hmm. she would get dressed up, wanted to be like dad, would wear a tie and would go with me on the trading floor. And last year, she's a sophomore now, but last year she was in finance club. Okay. And so she really got to get a better insight onto what it is dad does or dad did. And so it's one of those things I think she's always liked it. And I hope she continues that kind of continues to grow. And I would love to see more high school programs and stuff like that, getting people started and kind of more accustomed and interested in it sooner. So that's my own selfishly. I would love it if she went to the business and became an advisor because I think we definitely need more people who are, you know, more women who are empathetic and, and listen, but also have that business oriented mind, you know, mindset that I think helps people out. I think in general, women, for some reason, women and money have a bit of a negative connotation to it in kind of some stereotypical roles. And we, even with amongst friends, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about income. And even for me, the last couple of years, just being a little bit more assertive, I guess I will say, and sharing more about what it is that I'm doing and building out the office. And it's changed the way people view me and interact with me, which has been an interesting observation. I don't know that I have a straight answer to that because I I think I'm still kind of exploring my own experiences in two different capacities and a capacity where before I was kind of, you're too young, you don't know what you're doing, you don't have enough experience. And now kind of finally getting over a bit of that imposter syndrome and feeling very comfortable and very proud of, of where I am and being a woman financial advisor, I'm still kind of sussing that out. But I think a big part of that, again, kind of goes back to that role modeling. And I'm sure that if your daughter was able to see others before her take a track and be successful with it rather than flunk out, which has been the model in the industry in terms of how they've approached recruiting, I think that will go a long way. Agreed. I'm going to ask you the closing question. If you're ready, let me know. Okay. At Harbor, we're firm believers in active management, though it's important to acknowledge that every financial expert has their own unique perspective. Yeah. Your experience, where have you observed active management making the most significant difference? I mean, I think an active management is a key part of any sort of portfolio in terms of how I work with my clients. But I also like to oftentimes complement those with kind of alternatives or commodities or different things like that. I know a lot of people are big fans of index funds. I think there is a time and place for that. 
But once your portfolio gets to a certain size, I do believe that there is value um, in having active management within your portfolio. Well, for our listeners, excellent advice. Thank (laughs) you very much. Last but not least, how can people find you? What's your social? Yeah, do you have any, I guess, does SMB have any social sites or what is your website? Sure. So our website is smbfinancialstrategies.com. You can also find my personal profile on LinkedIn. And we have a business page on LinkedIn and on Facebook if you search SMB Financial Strategies. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And now we're going to switch to my favorite part, which I like to call the lightning round, <laughs> or they make me call it 60 Seconds with Sabine Barsumian. Let me All know right. your okay. nickname. Mom. Hobby. Reading. Hidden talent. Finding a song to sing all the time. If you could teleport anywhere for just five minutes, where would you go? The future. Ultimate universe profession. Backup dancer. If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be? Joan of Arc. What's the best professional advice you've ever received? Know your worth. Piece of advice you would give your 22-year-old self. You got this. Favorite useless fact. Did you know that the national animal in Scotland is a unicorn? Favorite ice cream flavor and chocolate chip most adventurous thing you've ever done i jumped off the Burj Khalifa a month ago in what ways do you consider yourself fortunate all the ways favorite family <laughs> vacation spot aruba you hit snooze on the alarm clock absolutely ebook or physical book physical book 100 percent. favorite way to get active i am a member of f45 and then biking with the kids social media follow recommendation jackie wilkie Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just getting started, The Active Advisor brought to you by Harbor Capital offers professional insights for the financial advisor community. Visit us at harborcapital.com to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to The Active Advisor on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on investment trends, tried and tested research methods, and what your industry peers are up to. From all of us at Harbor Capital, thanks for tuning in. And now for important disclosures, This material is for informational purposes and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of 20th of October 2023 and are subject to change. The opinions expressed by the speakers do not necessarily represent the views of Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive and are not guaranteed as to accuracy. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. Such information may include, among other things, projections and forecasts. There is no guarantee that any of these views will come to pass. This material may not be representative of the experience of other individuals. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the viewer. This material is not legal, tax or accounting advice. Please consult with a qualified professional for this type of advice. Investing involves risk including the risk of loss. Stock markets are volatile and equity values can decline significantly in response to adverse issuer, political, regulatory, market and economic conditions. Fixed income investments are affected by interest rate changes and the creditworthiness of issuers. As interest rates rise, the values of fixed income securities are likely to decrease.
Specific companies and issuers are mentioned for educational purposes only and should not be deemed a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Any companies mentioned do not necessarily represent current or future holdings of any investment products. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. This material is prepared by Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. is not affiliated with SMB Financial Strategies LLC. All trademarks or product names mentioned herein are the property of their respective owners. Copyright 2023 Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. All rights reserved.